you know what? I was sitting down with my Chick-fil-A with my can of Bud Light. Uh, it was June and I had just gone to Target and uh, we were about ready for the new Barbie movie that was coming out. And I uh, just finished renting a car from Hertz and I uh, had some M&Ms next to me after we got done watching The Little Mermaid. And that guy was telling me something on that TV about the evils that were set in front of me and how we needed to repent and turn the other way. And I just, I turned the tables and my Bud Light went flying and my Chick-fil-A went flying. And I realized that Target was of the devil and the Barbie was of the devil and Hertz was going to take away my guns and the M&Ms. They were making me think all kinds of unnecessary thoughts and putting all kinds of fairy dust in my nether regions. And I thought, ah, Ariel can't be black. Oh, I got to give my life to Jesus. Damn, I'm glad I didn't peek in high school. Cause my best days will be in the past. I know, I know, I know, I know. Looking back, it ain't all bad. But damn, I'm glad I didn't peek in high school. Everyone, welcome to another week of the Tension Podcast. We're a show that acknowledges that most of life and faith is lived in the tension between the two extremes. Each week, we look at what many of us were taught growing up in evangelical churches. We weigh it against what our current culture is saying, and we try to find what Jesus has for us in the tension between the two. We have met. My name is Jonathan Carone, and we're joined, as always, by our co-host, Mr. Eric Williams. Eric, go ahead and say hey to the people. Oh, what is up? We are. Uh, this is the cleanup hitter of the season right here. So this is going to be swing for the fences. We're either going to, I mean, it's a true, what, three outcome situation right now. We're either going to hit a home run, strike out, or uh, I don't know what a walk would be, but yeah, we're we're week four. This is great. Let's bring them home. The ducks are on the pond, Jonathan. Let's go. I like to give you guys a peek behind the curtain sometimes because it's fun. And when we so when we plan these seasons out, each one of us comes to the table with a list of ideas to talk about. And like when we made our list this year, the first three topics that we talked about the last three weeks, they were on both of our lists. So we both wanted to talk yep. about them. This week was an Eric suggestion. So. What we have learned on Eric's suggestion weeks is Eric gets yep. more fired up on those episodes than the ones that either I come up with or we both come up with together. Challenge accepted. <laughs> Before we get into that, I do want to remind you that this season we're focusing on the culture war around us and how Christians can live and function in the midst of that. As part of this season, we are going to have a Q&A mailbag that will release on Monday, October the 23rd. We've already gotten some great questions for that. But if you have a question you'd like to have answered about any of these topics we're talking about, please send them to us by Thursday, October 19th. You can send them to hello at tensionpodcast.com or either one of us on social. Eric is at EricW712 on Instagram, and I am at Jonathan underscore on there as well. And they could be serious questions. You know, you could ask us you know, implicating questions on some of the things we've talked about, or, you know, if you just want to know uh, how many hats does Jonathan have? Does he have more than Eric? Do, and what do the hats mean? And what's his favorite hat? What's the guitar look like in the background there? How many chords can Jonathan play? Can he whip out, uh, you know, a string rendition of Lord, I left your name on high right now. Nine hats currently and about four chords. Um, okay. if, so we'll go ahead and knock those out. I'm terrible. Does he have more hats than cords? <laughs> I, That's funny. I think I do. All right. So for today, today we are talking about the real enemy of the church today. The devil. Done. Okay. Roll it. 90s kids. 
uh, see you guys next week. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> technically, if you want to get there, but spiritually, we know it's the devil, but practically on the ground, it's important for us to recognize and acknowledge the fight that we are facing. For years, the evangelical fundamentalists have been saying that the culture around us and society at large is attacking the church. The claim has been made that the society around us was hostile to the church. And I think in years past and decades past, that was probably correct. I think there was a time when society at large was hostile to the church. Um, But in response to that, many on that evangelical fundamentalist side have fought back. It's what's led Mm -hmm. to the culture war that we're in today. Yeah. And I I think, you know, I'm going to backtrack a second, like the devil. Yes. Spiritually. And it, and all of these other little things that come up, but it's like, man, it's always that plus, or it's always something that we add and we make a bigger deal of. I don't know. You, you know, you remember like in cartoons or whatever else where there'd be something small and a light would hit it. And then you'd have this big shadow in the background. And like, that's the boogeyman. That's the scary thing. I think that's what we're really dealing with, with what those enemies look like is there's, yeah, maybe something, but even we know spiritually, like, the devil may be the quote unquote enemy, but there's no competition here. You know, like there is no enemy Christ wins in the end. And so we're creating this shadow boxing war over something. Um, And I think we end up looking at the wrong thing because of bad, you know, bad faith actors that have hijacked the, the church and, and, uh, and used it for political power or just power in general. Yeah, there's that. I mean, this is probably a different topic for a different day, but there is the tension between like, yes, there's a spiritual war going on around us. Mm -hmm. We know that we know who wins that, but we can't deny the fact that the war is going on. But at the same time, the evangelical fundamental fundamentalist side tends to overemphasize the power of of the devil or Satan or the enemy or whatever you want to call it. And everything takes is blamed on that. Like you coughed on your way to church. Well, the devil's trying to keep me down, man. Or Uh you make Uh a bad decision financially. And so you're in some financial trouble. The devil's just trying to get me, man. And so Mm. everything's blamed on the Mm. devil. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, when we talk about this culture war idea, you know, uh, I I think about it this way. Sometimes it's like, um, think about the battle. For those of you that are parents or parents of young kids, the battle that you have with your children to go to sleep or to go to bed or get ready for bed. That, that war, it's a nasty war. You know who wins in the end because eventually they're going to fall asleep. They're going to go to sleep, right? Like you win. There is no, there, there's no contest here. But the way in which you conduct yourself during that battle or war can negatively affect a lot of things going on in the future. So you could completely be an a-hole parent and do some things that you probably will regret immediately after they go to sleep that's going to ruin your relationship with them and their siblings, right? Uh, Over something that's like, at the end of the day, they're going to go to sleep eventually, you know? So it's like same type of situation here. We have a culture war that if you are a Bible believing Christian, you know, you win like Jesus wins, but yet we end up uh, causing other problems because we are not fighting this war the way um, that, that a winner would fight, you know, the old, like, act like you've been there before type of situation. Or I would argue the way that we were told to fight by Jesus himself. Yeah, exactly. I mean, but exactly. Yeah. We'll get to that. You know. 
So here, here's where this week's episode came from. There was an article recently that was put out by it's, it's Neewolf, right? Uh, Newhoff, 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 new friend, new new friend of the show. Um, I, I he don't turned know us down for, with for other coming friends on of the show. show, but yeah. So that's the only that's the only knock against him. But for years, uh, he's in the in the church leadership area. He was a lead pastor of a church, I think, in Toronto. He's Canadian, uh, but he speaks a lot to church leaders about burnout, about leadership in the church. So, and he has a great podcast too. So I wish he'd come on ours, but you know, we'll go ahead and plug his anyway, <laughs> if you want to go and listen to him, but Hey, Carrie, you know, thanks for writing this, uh, this article. Have I told you why I can't say his last name? Why? Because when I was first introduced to Carrie Newhoff, probably 10 or 12 uh-huh. years ago, the guys yeah. that I worked with, they called him Carrie Beowulf because they didn't know how to ah, say his yeah. last name either. So whenever yeah. I read Newhoff, I instantly think Beowulf. Wolf. So I can't. Yeah. So I know. Yeah. Why can't you read his last name? Because it's spelled N I E U W H O F. It's got every vowel in it except for A, and there's a W and F and an N. That it's a, Scrabble score would be off the charts right now. It's a word of word that would make you throw your phone yeah, across exactly. the room. All right. Well, yeah, no here's kidding. his argument that I think, uh, I think it carries a lot of weight. I think it's worth discussing. And it's what this episode's going to be built around. Here's the quote. If you look at the way many Christians are approaching the culture today, you'd think the church is under siege from critics. And in some respects, that's true. But look more deeply and you'll see the real issue isn't hostility, it's indifference. And indifference Mm. is a much harder issue to deal with. Hostility means the person angry with you is still engaged. Indifference means you've lost them, at least for now. Indifference is a very different opponent than disagreement or hostility. Maybe it's rooted in the fact that the church has largely stopped caring about the world. And when the church Mm. no longer cares about the world, it should be no surprise that the world no longer cares about the church. So for the rest of our time today, it's back on you. You turn your back on the world. Timon and Pumbaa. Well, Timon, but yeah. I don't know. That's what I thought of immediately. It was Lion King when he, he says when the world no longer. Anyway, Akuna Matata. Let's let's move on. So today we're going to be breaking down this <laughs> idea of the difference in the culture being hostile towards us versus being indifferent towards us. And I think the place we have to start is where uh, Beowulf ended. Maybe it's rooted in the fact that the church has largely stopped caring about the world which I think is when you hear that you're one of two things are going to happen. Um, if you are on the fully deconstructed side of things, you're going to be like, yo, I mean, of course the church has stopped caring yeah, about the world around us. Right. If you're yeah. still involved heavily in church, your fists are going to come up a little bit and say, well, no, the church hasn't stopped caring about the world. And I think we have to make an acknowledgement here on the front end. Or not my church. Right. We've always been a show where we said we have to acknowledge the good if we want to discuss the bad. And the good is that the American church as a whole is still the single, single biggest monetary provider to charities and nonprofits in America. There are some issues with that research and the statement but and how those numbers are kind of defined. But we have to acknowledge the financial care the church provides mm-hmm. to the people around us. If we're being fair, we have to acknowledge that. Yes, we, we have to. Yeah, I think uh, that's true. 
but you you really can't just throw money at things and treat people the way the cultural war Christians have done that. Because like on one end, um, maybe this is a newsflash for some people, but like God doesn't need your money to do your work. Uh, I know do his work probably to do his work. Do his work, yeah, to do his work. He doesn't need your money to do his work. And I know we've probably heard something different from uh, many pulpits, from many people about how God needs, you know, us to whatever faithfully. Blah, blah, blah. So a the seed. bottom line is, yeah, so we'll see. But he wants us to honor him with our money, but not be held captive by the love of money. Like that's that's what the money thing is. And so if you're if 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 our um, if our default is to go to and go, well, yeah, I mean, look at how much we're supporting with money and the hands and feet of Jesus and things like that's great. But uh, giving money or serving isn't the same as honoring God, especially if you give money or if you go on a mission trip or if you serve or provide whatever. And then when you get home or then after you're done, you know, writing the check or, you know, most of our cases uh, giving online or automatically giving and not even thinking about it, like then you go on and you're just a total you know, B word to, yeah, whatever to, to people around you, or you mistreat others, or, you know, you engage in, I don't know, political insurrection, then it's uh, not the same as honoring God. So think about it this way. For those of you, I mean, some people uh, had great childhoods growing up, great parents and things like that. Others of you didn't, but I think we all know the type of story for like um, the person who's now an adult that goes like my my parents weren't there for me emotionally. Sure, they provide. And this is not my story, but like sure they provided for for you and all your needs. Or you know, mom and dad were working all the time to provide for us financially, uh, but either neglected us emotionally or at the worst abused us emotionally. Those sorts of things. Or the parent that uses the excuse after they've emotionally or physically or mentally abuse their children, then they go, oh, well, I put a roof over your head and I give you these things and I provide all these things. It's like, that's the same energy as Christians or the church that's like, oh yeah, well, I mean, we provide all these things for these people and charitable and serve and everything else like that. It's like, yeah, but if you're not also providing the other needs or if you're actively working against it in your personal life, you're just totally undercutting any level of care that you're actually providing. I would argue writing a check, or as we've talked about in seasons past, going on your one week mission trip vacation is not the same as caring about the world or the underserved. And for those of you who have your fists up to that, come at me at Eric W seven, one, two on all major platforms. What I would say is that perception is reality. Yes. So even if you push towards, hey, there's this financial piece that the church provides, um, if people do not take that as caring for them and that they think because the way you treat them personally negates that, then it actually does negate it Mm -hmm. to an extent. And so we have to acknowledge that piece as well. We've mentioned in the past episodes of this season that the culture war Christians have valued their influence and their way of life over actually caring for those around them. Yep. And the research actually backs up that perception. Let's talk about the perception. Even if we can't agree that it's the reality, let's, let's agree on the perception. But here's the deal. Care is not objective. Care is a subjective measure. 
you have to feel cared for. You can't actually be cared for because you can't look at it objectively and say, well, this is the thing that I'm doing, therefore it is care. No, care is a received subjective feeling and perception. So even in these stats, you're going to hear that they are mostly opinion-based. And so, yeah, go on. Let's hear it. Told you, Eric, we're getting on soapboxes right, I'm ready. today. I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay. So research from 538 stated that 57% of millennials agree that religious people are generally less tolerant of others. Mm. And the crazy thing about this stat is that it was from 2019 before the COVID, the yep. election, yep. the vaccine, all of that ramped up. So 57% agreed that then I don't even want to know what that number is now. Cause I'm sure. guessing it's higher. Yeah. Um, missional marketing did a study of non church going members of Gen Z. And they asked them what they are looking for in a church. 77.7% said they're looking for churches that help the poor. Mm. 72% said they are looking for churches that address mental health. Yeah, good luck with that. 69.2% said that they're looking for churches that provide opportunities to help others. Hold on, hold on, hold on. So <laughs> uh, uh, it's like, it's like, so the, the, the up and coming generation is going, Hey, can we get a church that uh, supports mental health? And like most churches and mega churches, like, uh, sorry, the best we could do is uh free coffee and donuts in the, uh, in this, in the lobby. <laughs> we'll pray for you. Yeah. We'll pray for, Oh, you want mental health? Uh, here's a donut and uh, and a coffee. It's Starbucks though. I mean, not like actual Starbucks. It's like, you know, we, we bought Starbucks from Aramark Starbucks, but here you go. Peace be with you. Just give it to the Lord and the Lord will, the Lord will help it. Gosh. But here, here's how I want to sum that up. If the American evangelical church truly cared for the world around them, hmm. you wouldn't have over two thirds of the non church going people in the generation coming up and coming into adulthood, struggling to find churches that demonstrated they care for the world. So the real issue isn't hostility, mm -mm. it's indifference. Yes. And indifference is much harder issue to deal with. Hostility means the person angry with you is still engaged. Indifference means you've lost them, at least for now. That comes from Beowulf's article. <laughs> so before we... Maybe it's better he didn't agree to come on the podcast. <laughs> so I, I keep saying it and you get caught off guard and you laugh and it throws us off yeah. and then we come back to it. Yeah, it's okay. So before we get into the impact of indifference versus hostility, I want to make the case for indifference. Okay. And this is where I go to research again, because I think a lot of times the research can point to things that we have either felt to confirm it or makes us think because we haven't realized it yet. Okay. So according to Lifeway, on average, churches are at 85% of their pre-pandemic attendance. Hmm. Which was already 68% of the churches, which was already in decline. We've talked about it in other episodes. Um, across the country, 68% of churches have congregations of fewer than 100 people. Yep. 31% have fewer than 50 people. So the average, I would say, the most common churches in America are not the big giant mega churches you hear about, they are the small corner churches of 
50 to 100 people. Yeah, and that's like five or six. That's like five or six families if you're in those small towns. You know? <laughs> like 50, 50 I mean, people. It's, it's, it's everywhere around here. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. That, that, that's the cornerstone of my town. Yep. But what this shows us is that your cultural Christian who went to church because their mama wanted them to are no longer going to these small churches. Yep. That's on one side. Another side that is absolutely nuts to me is that the older generations who were keeping these churches going, mm -hmm. they are no longer going to church. Yep. 22% um, of boomers have stopped going to church since COVID. Well, yeah, because of the COVID practices. I mean, think about it for these <laughs> churches. That were, it's like, honestly, it's either we didn't provide any sort of method of helping keep them safe. Uh, and we almost made it a religious requirement for them to come in person. What, like, what are you doing? You know what I mean? Those are the th types of things. Like I was a church marketer in that time. I was a communications director for a mega church. And it was like, we struggled with that. And there were people uh, that I would actually say it was the loudest voices were like, nope, we need to keep, we need to stay open. We need to force people to come in masks or no, you know, all these sorts of things. So of course the people that COVID was affecting the worst older people were the ones that the church was like, nah, forget it. Let's kill them, bring them in here and let's just let them die. So it's like 22% of boomers have stopped attending church since COVID. Yeah. How many of them have died too? You know, that's the kind of thing. It's like the church. Stopped. Well, it's not even counting the ones that, Exactly. Died. Yeah. The church stopped caring about its most vulnerable and most devoted people through COVID. And it's like, then what are we supposed to say that it feels about the world? So overall, 16% of Christians who attended church pre-COVID have stopped going. Mm. That's according to Barna. Yep. So boomers are above the average. Like, the, they're the largest group of people who have stopped going to church. So the people who cared the most one in four have stepped away. And then I don't know about Gen X cause everybody forgets about Gen X and they never show up in stats. Mm -hmm. But if you, if you skip Gen X and come down to millennials, 40% of millennials, I'm sorry to all our Gen X listeners. Like I love you, but you know, you're forgotten, but 40% of millennials identify as religiously unaffiliated. Mm -hmm. So you've got 22% of boomers who went to church have left and four out of 10 millennials, which is the second largest generation after the boomers or maybe larger. I can't remember at this point, they're religiously unaffiliated. So you're in the church's influence in society of people caring about the church is at an all time American low. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like, uh, the, the tough part is it is the, I would actually even say it's like gen X, um, lead pastors that are trying desperately to grip onto that power and influence in the wrong ways. And so similar to all of our political episodes that we've talked about, it's like, what's the one way that you can rally support is you, you rally them around a common enemy. You rally them around a single issue. You rally them around a case for persecution. And you can point to these things. And so how do you, you know, circle the wagons and get people more interested in church is that sort of thing. But the problem is you're shooting yourself in the foot because you're getting the type of people that you don't ultimately want interested in the church because they're not going to bring in more people. I did find the stats. 22% <laughs> of Gen X says that religion is either not too important or not important at all. And 25% say it's somewhat important. So only 53% of Gen X 
believes that religion is very important in their life. So, I mean, they are right along with everyone else. 31% of Gen X seldom or never attends church. Uh, so slightly lower than the millennials. Uh, 22% say they never even pray. Um, Heathens. So we didn't forget about you, Gen X. I went and found it. Overall, you're looking at anywhere from 30 to 40% of each generation doesn't give two craps about the church. And those are the people who are honest in the surveys. So 25 minutes into this, what's the practical difference in a culture that is hostile to you and one that is indifferent to you? I think that's the big difference that I want to talk about so that we can understand what the actual implications of this culture war is or what they are. So Eric, what's the first thing you believe is the practical implication of this? I think this is kind of going back to what Gary Newhoff said, but a hostile culture at least has an opinion of you. So if you, you know, if you're a Hamilton fan, you know, you can think to, uh, I forget, I think it's in the Skylar sister song, but it's like where she's like, Burr, you disgust me. And he's like, ah, so you've disgusted me. Ah, right? so, so you've disgusted me. Right. So it's like, yeah, you, I, you, you're disgusting, ah, but at least you're talking about me. Right. So at least there's an opinion. At least there's some level of passion behind there. In fact, in the early 2000s, when, you know, I was part of like a small town under 100 uh, United Methodist Church, we would always talk about how we would rather have conversations with people who at least had an opinion about church, how it was so much easier, well, you know, to talk about someone that was like, oh, church, I hate church. Because then you can ask why and you can start digging down to reasons and you can actually like go through some of those things and empathize with them and, and maybe help them have some sort of paradigm shift. But if there's no paradigm to shift with the church, then you cannot bring someone from you know, hostility towards love or whatever. Like how many times in the church do we elevate a, you know, uh, Saul to Paul conversion? Well, Saul wasn't sitting on his horse indifferent to the church. He was literally persecuting Christians. And so that Saul to Paul conversion that you hear people elevate all the time perfectly encapsulates this, where at least he's got an opinion about you. And think about how many times in the gospels that you read through that, where someone is talking to Jesus or talking to the disciples or taught, you know, whatever. And there's some level of like, Oh, I thought this, they had a, they had a negative opinion or a wrong opinion regarding God or the way of God. And that's why Jesus does all the, you've heard it said, but now I tell you, you had this opinion, but now I tell you that this is the more accurate opinion. It's because it's much easier to engage someone who cares about the subject matter, even if that's a negative opinion of the subject matter. And so like indifference, in your audience doesn't respond to your messaging and your argument. And you and I would both say that as marketers, someone who is indifferent to your product or service as a business is not someone that you can market to because they have no opinion based on what you're doing. And so let's see what I, I had another quote in here. While it's better to be loved than hated, it's far better to be hated than ignored. I have no idea how to pronounce that name. Viet Don Nguyen. But anyway, I believe that's true. Like you definitely want to be, you, you want to have an opinion about you. And when the church isn't even worth forming an opinion about, that's bad. So number one, practically, hostile culture at least has an opinion. And then number two is when we treat everyone as hostile or everything as hostile, just like what we've talked about for episode after episode after episode, the word loses its power. The hostility loses its power. 
Um, we lose credibility. We look stupid because everything that we point out is being hostile. And someone else is like, that's not hostile. The next time something comes along that you say is hostile, they're not going to believe you. And so it's kind of like, uh, let's see here. If anybody watches or watch the show Walking Dead, which I know all of you good Christians wouldn't be into the occult like that with the zombies, blah, blah, blah. But if you're familiar with The Walking Dead on some level, it's like the first two or three seasons, amazing. But it was like every single season, there was just some just gigantic thing. Oh my gosh, this is the biggest twist, the biggest twist, the biggest twist, the biggest twist. You could think about all kinds of shows and movies that do, well, shows. Lost. Mostly. I never Lost. watched Lost, but it's the first thing that came to mind. Exactly. The first season of Lost was incredible. But then they just kept doing crazier and crazier things that by the end of it, people are just like, you're like, oh, yeah, what? why am I still watching this? This is not and it doesn't have the same impact. You know, a huge crazy anatomy. Yeah, a huge cliffhanger or a person that dies at the end of season nine after they've done it so much. All of a sudden, you don't have that same level of like impact anymore. So anything that you continue to say is hostile, it just doesn't have that impact. And then like point two B is actual hostile things go unnoted, unnoticed. Because when you boycott everything, those real things that should be boycotted, they like they lose their they 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 like fly under the radar. Or you've got this fatigue, this boycott fatigue where people are just like tired of it because you've cried wolf so many times. I'll give you an example the other direction. Okay. Well, maybe the same direction. So the evangelical fundamentalist Christian side of things is naturally skeptical of the government. And I get that. I mean, there are many things that can be covered up. There are many things that could actually happen um, that we would consider a conspiracy theory. Like the government is big. It can do shady things. I've watched enough episodes of scandal to know that <laughs> things can happen behind the scenes, but because there has been such a, cried wolf the government is up to this the government's doing this the government's doing this that ended up not being true or ended up being based off of some whack job that was proven to be wrong now anytime conservatives well-meaning conservatives i'm not even talking about the crazy maga cult the, but well-meaning conservatives who they want to bring up a position that's like hey i think this could be wrong i think something else is going on here I think something bad is happening here. I immediately, I'm just like, I don't care. Like, I can't trust you. Right. I, I, I don't, I don't have the energy to research what you're saying to see yet again, that what you're saying is just made up in some type of kook head and they don't know what they're talking about. Yep. And I think at the same time, that's what's happened with people towards the church. Mm. We have gone so far, so many times we've cried wolf so many times about so many stupid things that they don't want to listen to us about a Jewish rabbi who was killed by the people and then somehow rose to life a couple of days later to forgive us of these things called sins and make our lives different mm -hmm. where we also have to give up the things that we enjoy the most. Yep. You can't say that. And then also like have that coming. Hey, Bill Gates is putting the mark of the beast in the virus. Yeah. The yeah vaccine virus. Right. Coming from, a pulpit of a multi-million dollar megachurch uh, from a group, you know, that's supported by a group of politicians that are in power and this and that and the other. It's, it's like, it's as stupid as like what, 2015, 2016, where it's like, oh, hey, there's this, if I told you there's, there's this uh, Republican primary candidate that was a man of the people, a populist guy who was going to make sure that he spoke out for the little guy. 
Oh, but he's also the most conspicuous millionaire of the 20th century with his own plane and gold, everything. And, you know, multi-time adulterer slash divorced person is going to now stand up for your uh, uh, moral family values. You're like, what? No, duh, we've lost credibility because it just doesn't make sense when those messages are coming out of the mouths of or coming from the same area as these other completely opposite messages. So, of course, people have stopped caring. Mm -hmm. But what happens when they stop caring? The difference in hostility and indifference is if they stop caring, if they stop listening, you have to shout louder to get them to pay attention to you. Yes. You have to be more outlandish for them to even look your way. And if it seems like the fundamentalists have gotten even more ridiculous in recent years, it's because they've had yeah. to. They've realized that culture at large has stopped paying attention to them. When the culture was hostile to the church, all you have to do is respond to what they're doing. It's a back and forth active argument. But when culture has stopped paying attention to you completely, you have to grasp at the straws on the fringes to try and create any sort of issue that will bring them back to the debate. Mm -hmm. And that's why if you look at recent cultural history, and we're recording this in early August, this is coming out in early October. So I have no clue what type of crap is going to happen over the next two months between recording and releasing. Yep. But just this year, you've got evangelicals calling for a boycott of Chick-fil-A because of a DEI department that we mm -hmm. talked about was a watered down DEI department. Yep. Uh, in June, there were claims that the designer behind some of Target's pride clothing was a Satanist. And that started spreading around social media to the point that that designer started getting death threats. Yep. You've got the boycott of Bud Light because they used a trans influencer in an online ad. Ben Shapiro, <laughs> when the Barbie movie came out, he spent uh, 45 minutes ranting about it, complete with handwritten notes in a notebook. That guy's got to be fun at parties. Like, like, could you just imagine? Um, hello. So, uh, Jonathan, do you want to go to a movie with me? Uh, I'm going to go see the Barbie movie. I'd be like, no, Ben. You're going to take your notebook and you're going to be creepy weird. And then we're going to take a picture in the lobby and you're going to post it on social media and everyone is going to hate us. I'm not going to another movie with you. Uh, well, I think that movie was uh, the uh, worst attack on masculinity I've ever heard in my life. Stop. Continue. Sorry. <laughs> I'm just giving you room for your soapboxes this episode. We talked about it in the boycott episode. None of these things are about real issues. No. They were made up issues that were so outlandish because they were trying to do whatever they could do to get the other side back to the table. It's clickbait. It's and as real our, life clickbait. Yes. And as the culture has become more and more indifferent to what the church thinks, the outlandish culture war from inside the church have gotten crazier and crazier. And we haven't even mentioned the COVID conspiracies that flew around inside churches and from church folk online a couple years ago. 
Oh, gosh. We need to do a second episode on this just where I can just get mad. See, now I'm... So how do we move forward? I don't know. How do we? Beowulf says, when the church no longer cares about the world, it should be no surprise that the world no longer cares about the church. What does Timon say? And Come on, say it back to me. When the world turns its back on you, you turn your back on the world. Speaking of Disney. I'll change world to church. Yeah, when the church turns its back on you, you turn your back on the church. That was a terrible Timon uh, impression, by the way. We got the point, though. Thank you. I am convinced that the way Christians have a positive influence on our culture is not primarily through legislation or political influence on this grandiose scale that we've tried, but rather it's in how we treat the people around us and model the kindness Jesus showed to those around him. That's how we reach a culture who does not give two craps about us. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, uh, the, if you think through the people that in your life, if you're not like a cradle to the grave Christian, if you weren't born into the church, right. Born into the nursery of the church and you had some sort of conversion, especially as adults, or if you talk to adults, you've got like two different groups of people. The first group of people I'm going to kind of put up to the side. Cause I think there's already some issues there where they're like, I just realized what a depraved and terrible sinner I was. And, I needed Jesus. He's like, uh, okay, I think there's some other issues there with you. But mostly people can point to the way that another Christian treated them. You know, I started talking to this guy about the gospel and he was really opening my eyes about some things and he had talked about some stuff. And it was like the way that he came alongside of me or she came alongside of me and talked to me and encouraged me, you know, was as much about the way that you influence people with your kindness more than, um, you, know, you know what? I'll tell you. I was about ready. I was sitting down. Uh, hold on. Let me go through this. Hold on. Pause. Let's see. You know what? I was sitting down with my Chick-fil-A, with my can of Bud Light. Uh, it was June, and I had just gone to Target. And uh, we were about ready for the new Barbie movie that was coming out. And I uh, just finished renting a car from Hertz. And I uh, had some M&Ms next to me after we got done watching The Little Mermaid. And that guy was telling me something on that TV about the evils that were set in front of me and how we needed to repent and turn the other way. And I just, I turned the tables and my Bud Light went flying and my Chick-fil-A went flying. And I realized that Target was of the devil and the Barbie was of the devil and Hertz was going to take away my guns and the M&Ms. They were making me think all kinds of unnecessary thoughts and putting all kinds of fairy dust in my nether regions. And I thought, ah, Ariel can't be black. I got to give my life to Jesus. No. That would never happen. But that's the way that we write it up. That's the script that we have. It's like there's somebody sitting in their house like this. I feel like Jerry Seinfeld. I don't know. What's the deal with this? Somebody sitting in their house and they're eating the M&Ms and drinking the Bud Light. And they realize that it's all going to be for Satan. And they give their life to Christ. It's like, no, nobody is thinking that. But that's the way we've set it up as the church. Is like that's the path now for a Christian, for a non-Christian to become a Christian. <laughs> <laughs> did i just describe like a fun friday night in your town yeah okay <laughs> you know when the m&ms give you some weird fairy dust in your nether region so i was watching the commercial for m&ms 
and that green M&M made me think all kinds of impure thoughts about my chocolate. <laughs> you see how stupid this sounds if you play this out? If you play this out, this is so stupid. But But like, this is the playbook. But it's like a playbook that you haven't thought of. And I go back to TV shows. It's like when the writers of the TV show just decide to change the plot without having any sort of end game in mind. There is no end for these characters. There's no end for this arc. It just all of a sudden becomes about what, what is it that we can rally around or what can we fight next? You're just swinging your arms around in the bar, trying to punch anyone who's around as opposed to thinking through like, what, what, what do you want to gain out of all of this? Cause the well, it's not is, just who the, do I want to fight next? It's who can I fight to get other people to join the fight? Yes, exactly. What, who can I go punch in the crowd that will rally the people around them to come back into the fight and join the fight? As Cause well? the sad thing is what's actually happening is it's like those people on the sidelines. Cause there are people on the sidelines. It's the influencers. It's the, you know, whatever you want to call it. You know, I don't want to get into uh, uh like conspiracy theory side, but, Man, it's politicians, it's leaders, it's bad faith actors that are sitting there stirring the pot that are yelling into the crowd and going like, hey, 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 you should punch that guy over there. He made fun of your wife. You should punch that guy over there. He's drinking a Bud Light. Hey, this person said the green M&M wasn't sexy. And I'm like, what? And I got these average everyday Christians running out and like starting to just swing when it's like, oh man, you're the, you're the fall guy. You were the one getting in trouble for the mastermind or the one that's orchestrating the whole rage because if with very few exceptions and maybe by October things will be different so as we're listening it might be different but like for very few exceptions yes Tucker Carlson lost his platform yes you know like some other people have lost some of their platforms but the biggest rage baiters are still in positions where they can influence people and send them like sheep to the slaughter And the problem with the way they're sending sheep to the slaughter is that they are taking people who at one point in time cared about the church, cared about Jesus. And because of what they're doing, those people are being like, no, nah, I'm good. Like, and they're, and they're just walking away. They, they don't care. And, we're losing our influence because we're trying to keep the fight going. Yep. In fact, we I was, stayed I, in the first episode. Let me Go say ahead. this. Cause this is, I was, I've been reading a lot of Brene Brown recently. So, you know, take that for what it is, but she's got a quote, in one of her books about her movement away from the church and then back to church. And she quotes Paul Tillich. She says, the opposite of faith is not doubt. It's certainty. Steve and I, which is her husband and her, we didn't leave religion because we stopped believing in God. Religion left us when it started putting politics and certainty before love and mystery. So whatever you want to believe about that from a theological standpoint, it's still that perception issue where you have, I think there's a lot of people that are in that same boat where it's like, instead of my church being a place where we were, uh, we were in it for the love of others, love of God, you know, love God, love others, love the world, whatever your, whatever your early 2000s mission statement was, right? Like it shifted from that and like, hey, we're going to, we're going to figure out our faith with fear and trembling and we're going to come alongside each other and disciple each other to be more like Christ and to love our neighbors as ourselves. It switched from that in a lot of cases to we are sure 
that this group of people are grooming our children. We are sure that this, you know, chicken, Christian chicken supplier is, is now woke. We are sure that, the, you know, that these are, are of the devil. We have gone from mystery and love and kindness and trying to uh, explain to the world an unexplainable God to a, hey, this is our enemy and he, we are sure that they, they need to be defeated. And I think you're losing people because of that lack, I would just call it a lack of faith. And you step into this like clutching certainty over who our enemy is. And that, and honestly, at some point, people just walk away and say, I'm not interested in that. And, and I have to remove that from my life. We said in the first episode this season that every time the church has engaged in a culture war and tried to grab governmental or societal power, it's led to less influence and fewer people following Jesus. And unfortunately, we are right there in the midst of that today. But I don't want to leave you in the muck and the garbage of all this before we do. I want to leave us on how do we, how do we change this? How do we actually make people care? And I fully believe, as silly as we've been today, as off topic as we've gotten, all of that gets thrown to the side if we can just do the daily unseen care for those around us. All the stuff we talked about today would disappear if we were known as people who just took care of those around us and showed the kindness of Jesus to those around us who maybe believe differently. That doesn't mean you can't hold on to your beliefs. That doesn't mean you can't believe the conspiracy of the day, or you can't be upset that this company is doing that thing. Sure, do that. But you can't be known for that. We need to be known as people who we have our beliefs, but we people see us as kind, welcoming, and non-judgmental. That's the only way we're going to get influence again in a society that doesn't give two craps about us anymore. Yeah, at the end of your life, um, you're going to be remembered for, I mean, for the vast majority of us that don't have a, you know, active Wikipedia page, you're going to be remembered for one or two sentences in passing, right? I joke about it all the time. It's like, oh, remember great grandma? Remember grandma? You know, it's like she was one or two adjectives. Okay, pass the, you know, pass the turkey and that's all you're going to get. It's like a Thanksgiving or something like that. Or when friends are talking about you, hey, whatever happened to Jonathan? Oh yeah, he, yeah, Jonathan was, and then you get one or two or three adjectives. And it's like, as a Christian, what do you want those adjectives to be about? And you can go into the typical Christian, uh, you know, sermon thing of like, you've got two date, dates on the tombstone and then a dash and life is about what you do with the dash. Sure. I would, I would say you've got two dates on your tombstone and in people's memories, they've got about three adjectives to remember you by. What do you want those to be? Do you want them to be, well, you know, he was really angry all the time man, uh, he, he seemed to be very opinionated about certain things, right? Those sorts of things. He sure hated Bud Light, loved Donald Trump, 
whatever it happened to be. It's like, you don't want to be branded and known for those things. I mean, I, I don't know. You can decide what you want, but I would rather have people say that Eric was generous. He was, he would just give, give what he had to the people that were around him. He was kind. He always, he always looked up to the people that were around him. And, uh, and you know what? He, he honestly cared about them. Like, I would rather have that be said about me than, I don't know, around 2022, 20, he just really started hating green M&Ms for some reason. <laughs> the famous Catholic priest, Henry Nowen, once wrote, I am deeply convinced that the Christian leader of the future is called to be completely irrelevant and to stand in this world with nothing to offer but his or her vulnerable self to enter into a deeper solidarity with the anguish underlying all the glitter of success and bring the light of Jesus there. We are not at war with society anymore. Secular society at large does not care what we think or believe. Our beliefs hold absolutely no value to them anymore. If we want to make a difference for Jesus to them, it takes getting back to the basics. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. That's it for this week. Next week, we're going to look at one of the other reasons the church has lost its credibility in our culture. And that is the scandals and cover-up. Those are the scandals and the cover-ups that have happened over the last 15, 20 years. But here's the thing with that one. I know a lot of you are, uh, you kind of have that disaster porn fatigue and you're, you're done listening to stuff about that, that dives into those things. There've been a ton of podcasts uh, talking about what happened and the fallout from what happened. We're going to fly a little higher and look big picture at how and why these things happen what we can learn from them and how we can make sure we don't let them happen again, because we want to live in the tension. We don't want to just watch the world burn around us and say, Oh, look at those people over there. We want to see how can we make this better for the future? As a reminder, if you want to send a question in for our mailbag Q and a, that episode is coming out on October 23rd, get those questions to us by Thursday, October 19th. You can send them to us on social. Eric is at Eric W seven one two on all the major platforms. I'm at Jonathan underscore Corone on them as well. You can email those questions in to hello at tensionpodcast.com. If you like the show today, do us a favor and rate us and review us wherever you get your podcasts, especially on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe on your favorite on YouTube or your favorite podcast app if you haven't already. Share this with a friend if you think it will help them or if you found it interesting. But as always, thanks for making us a part of your day, and we'll talk to you again next week. Cool.